This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets followed the soil-stealing ships from Mudro to a planet that looked like a giant mirror ball. When they landed, they found themselves at Doug and Lydia's school, where they met copies of themselves, copies that exaggerated their negative traits. When they went inside the school, Lydia used the norm to have another powerful vision, where she saw the mirror planet for what it really was. She convinced it and its people to embrace their true identity. When we left the cadets, 
They had been led down a basement passageway until they came to a room full of strange experiments and an even stranger man in a hovering chair. And now for episode 15, Doctor's Orders. You are the doctor? Lydia asked nervously. Guilty as charged, the man replied, hovering towards them on his floating wingback chair. He stopped only a few feet away. Now Doug could get a better look at him, and the man was every bit as intimidating as he thought he'd be. He was older, with thin gray hair greased back tight against his head. He wore a classy gray jacket that had elbow patches and a yellow polka-dotted pocket square. But his most unique feature, and the one Doug had a hard time not staring at, was his mouth. Half of it didn't seem to move when he spoke, and that half had a long scar streaking through it that came to a point at his chin. And yet, even with the scar, there was something that drew you to him. Something that kept you glued to his every word. Maybe it was his kind green eyes or his calming voice. Whatever it was, Doug found himself mesmerized every time the man spoke, like he was under some spell. You don't look well, Doug the doctor said. Can I offer you a glass of water? Doug's heart raced. You know my name? The doctor chuckled. I do indeed, Mr. Colt. When you have your hand in as many honey jars as I do, you find it invaluable to know your competition. What were you doing with the people on this planet? Lydia asked. And the people on Mudro, Doug added. Dallas and Leo had questions, too, but were still trying to gather themselves. The doctor crossed his legs and pressed his fingertips together. "'You're very caring, Lydia. That's one of your more admirable qualities. You have traces of it as well, Douglas, although not in as great a quantity as your special friend here.' Doug could feel his face growing red. He didn't dare look at Lydia to see her reaction— how did he know? Ah, don't blush, the doctor said with a half-smile. My sources are very thorough in their research. To answer your questions, the people on this planet naturally reflect like a mirror. It's a defense mechanism they have that disguises them and protects them from invaders. Hence the reason I chose this location for my place of work. They provide me with a private office, and I ensure their protection. As for the Mudro people, they were alive when you found them, no? The cadets nodded. That was more than I could say when I came upon them. They were barely alive at all. I found them practically crawling from their caves to greet me. I provided a suitable village for them using technologies that suited their state of development, and in exchange I could take some of their precious soil for my research. The cadets looked at each other. You weren't stealing it? Dallas pressed, trying to calm Blobby in his pocket. The doctor shook his head. Quite the contrary, Dallas. Like you... My mother didn't raise me to be a thief. If anything, I share all that I discover. My approach to progress is more of a win-win for everyone. 
A rising tide lifts all ships. Leo pointed to the cadets, then his eyes, and shook his head. He's right. That's not what we've seen, Doug interpreted. The doctor looked at Leo amused. That's cute, Leo. You're speaking in gestures now. Leo scowled at him. Doug and the others wondered what he meant. Hadn't Leo always spoken in gestures? The doctor tilted his head at them. I have no doubt that what you've witnessed has been seen through a very foggy lens, provided by Dr. Figaro Finnegan. He told you I was a monster, didn't he? In so many words, Lydia answered. Doug couldn't believe this guy was trying to turn the tables. How dumb did he think they were? Goro said that you stole his research, recruited a team of exiled students, and then destroyed the academy. In a colorful explosion of fireworks, I presume? The doctor chuckled. Goro can be quite dramatic. It served him well in his lectures, but not so much in his relationships. Sometimes I wonder if that brain crystal of his isn't screwed in quite right. I didn't steal his research. As a matter of fact, we worked together and frequently shared our findings. Despite what he might have told you, we were good friends. Some might even say best friends. In fact, when it came time for the faculty to vote on the Academy's new Master of Class, mine was the final deciding vote in his favor. But the position went to his head as did his famous research findings. Sure, I'll admit he carried most of the weight in our work together. He had more time to experiment. But we were equal partners, and as equal partners I was, at the very least, entitled to access our research. I didn't care about the fame. All I wanted was to put our findings to good use. Or to enslave galaxies, Dallas corrected. The doctor turned to him. Look at you, farm boy. Does that little creature embolden you? Dallas put his hand over his shivering pocket. Yes, I think it does. By yourself, you're strong, sometimes noble, but self-centered and hopelessly naive. You have much to learn about the universe. The doctor shook his head and then smiled at the rest of the cadets. Who do you think built the well of being on Mars? The Martians? Hardly. They were recklessly wasteful with their water. So I, using some of the Tylon technology we developed, created a well system that controlled their usage. In exchange for help with their water and advancing them into a Tylon society, I was allowed access to their water supply, which I needed for my clay experiments headed by Clay Bogan. What about Jojo? Doug asked. We stopped him from shrinking Earth. Jojo Mijo was hired to shrink and collect planets that were on a catastrophic collision course with asteroids. The only way to remove them from danger was to use our shrinking technology. His threat to Earth was an empty one, I can assure you. No doubt the result of a careless insult you made to his stature. 
The cadets looked at Doug, who shrugged. As for the bubblers on Blub, I simply allowed the Turbo Twins to sell them handheld screen technology in exchange for the secrets to their bubble creations, the doctor explained. It's an extraordinary material with many potential uses. He motioned to a small room beyond a window. Inside, dozens of mice bounced around in the bubbler bubbles. And the Academy's destruction you speak of was an unfortunate outcome. We didn't return to cause damage. Our goal was to simply search for and locate the norb that was said to be hidden somewhere inside. When my team of exiles weren't able to find it, they resorted to more physical means of searching the premises. I am very aware of their recklessness. If I had perfection to work with, I wouldn't be sitting here speaking with you. And yet, the irony of all the chaos is that you have brought the Norb directly to me, haven't you? The cadets went stiff. Doug looked at Lydia, who shifted uncomfortably. Remarkable. The twins told me that they saw you get away with it back at the academy. I almost didn't believe them. Don't worry, I'm not going to bother asking you for it. I wouldn't dare insult your intelligence. But in the end, I'm sure we will be able to come to some sort of an agreement. We will never make a deal with you, Doug assured. Goro said, Goro is a liar and is only concerned with himself. Let me guess. He told you that you were going to zip around in your space train and save the universe one world at a time. Have you ever stopped to ask him about his own ambitions, hmm? Have you asked him who he sold his share of technology to? Your friend Figaro is far from spotless himself. From where I'm sitting, it looks an awful lot like he's using you to overthrow me and take over the worlds under my stewardship. The room went quiet. The doctor's hover chair lifted until he was eye level with the kids. You children have managed to disrupt many of my operations, disgrace my team of exiles, and steal a sizable chunk of my fortune. And while I don't have proof, I can't help but feel you've had assistance, and not just from Goro. Doug had a funny feeling that there might be some truth to what the doctor was saying. It wasn't the first time he'd thought that they'd been helped with their missions. He hadn't really thought to talk about it with the others, but by the looks on their faces, they were feeling the same way. Even with some help, I'm impressed with your accomplishments. You have inspired me. You are an extraordinary group of children, and apart from the obvious reason you were chosen as the next team of wanderers, you have an incredible set of skills and powers that complement each other well. Now Doug was really confused. He thought the obvious reason they were chosen was because of their powers and skills. Just as he was about to press for more details, Lydia beat him to it. What obvious reason are you talking about? she asked. The doctor froze. His expression frowned, and then his eyes widened as if he'd realized something. 
Dear me, dear me, you don't even know why you're here, do you? The cadets looked at each other. The doctor rubbed his chin. Interesting. Maybe I should now. Come here. I want to show you something. The hovering chair turned in the air and floated to the back of the room. The cadets followed. They were led to a table with a miniature model of a building. It looked like it was going to be huge, like an airport or a major university. It was made almost entirely of glass, with a futuristic design of wide curves and sharp, irregular angles. What's this? Dallas asked. This is my newest project, the doctor replied. I felt guilty for what has become of the Academy of Wanderers, and this is my way of making things right. Doug leaned in to get a better look. You're making a school? Not just any school, but an elite academy, host to the most gifted youngsters in the universe, those who are banished from their society for their unique gifts and abilities, and perhaps their rebellious tendencies. I will help them understand their abilities, and together we will reap the treasures of the universe. An academy of exiles, Lydia said quietly, looking over a miniature glass bridge that twisted unnaturally like a spiral noodle. Precisely. And I want all of you to be my first students. Doug and Lydia stepped back. Before you say anything, know that as my first students, you will receive the highest privileges with opportunities for quick advancement in the academy. In no time you could be faculty members yourselves, each with your own worlds to rule and govern. Your families will be watched over, of course, and there is nothing the universe has to offer that won't be at your fingertips. The doctor noted the conflict in the cadets' faces. That knob will be yours to keep, a tool that will continue to enhance your abilities, and before long we will find more of them. Enough for each of you to have one at all times. Think of the possibilities. Think of the worlds you could help. You will be like gods to them. And believe me when I tell you, that is a feeling no one can ever take away from you. You could create anything you wanted, and your name will be praised throughout the galaxies. While the others stood speechless, Doug looked around the room noticing more of the doctor's experiments on display. There was a cage with a snake made of clay, coiled around a branch and hissing. Next to it were gardens of mudro soil, full of carnivorous plants. Above them, a sign made of beads that read welcome shifted to display the word in different alien languages every few seconds. In the four corners of the room stood armored knight statues, resting their gauntlets on the hilt of their swords, Lines of blinking lights flickered along their limbs, helmets, and blades. One oddity in particular caught Doug's attention. It was a small glass box surrounded by light bulbs. Floating inside it was a black sphere. Its form warbled and shifted in the air, making the light bulbs around it flicker. Doug pointed to it. What's that? The doctor looked at the glass case and smiled. 
I'm afraid if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Try me. That, Douglas, is the darkest material I've been able to find in the universe. The darkest of dark matter. It is the polar opposite of light, so opposite that it consumes all light around it. If it weren't for that little box, all the light around us would be sucked into it, and we would all be consumed in total darkness. Some say that even the light of life can't withstand its pull. Incredible, isn't it? That is just a sample of what you will discover under my care. Dallas, who was unusually quiet, was finally getting a taste of what Leo had faced with Diva. It was a tempting offer. I mean, having his own world? He could have a surf planet all to himself. One where every beach had the perfect surf and weather, and everyone on it did nothing but cheer him on. A planet-sized fan club. Doug, too, was hesitating. Imagining himself building whatever he wanted was a dream come true. Like the ultimate Lego set. Could he really create anything? Leo just shook his head, shockingly not moved by the presentation. Lydia, too, stood firm in her stance. She scowled at the doctor. We will never join you, she said coldly. The doctor's eyebrows shot up. Is that right? Does she speak for all of you? After a couple of long seconds, Doug and the others nodded. Very well. The doctor pressed a button on the side of his chair, and thick metal doors slid down over the exits. The cadets watched, horrified, as every escape route was blocked. The doctor pressed his fingertips together. I would have rather not done it like this, but you've left me no choice. You see, when you effectively dismantled my team of exiles, you left me with a void to fill. The only way to make this a fair deal is for you to fill that void and become my exiles. You will not only join my school, but you will help me build it. You can't force us to go to your academy, Doug said. We'll fight if we have to. How are the lunches there? Dallas asked. Do you have a pretty balanced menu? The other cadets slowly turned to look at him. Uh, I mean, so I can know what food I'm going to be throwing in your face? Lydia shook her head. The doctor reached down and pressed another button on the side of his chair. Take them to the transport ship and set the course for Cassian B-82. Suddenly, the knights covered in lights in the corners of the room came to life and clanked towards them with their swords at their sides. Great, Doug said. Anybody know how to sword fight? I used to fight my brother with pool noodles in the pool, Dallas said. But I usually lost. We're doomed, Lydia said. Doug heard something above them, a sound coming from outside. He couldn't tell what it was at first. It was too faint. But it got louder and louder until pretty soon it was unmistakable. Someone was blaring reggae music outside. Um, Jamaicans to the rescue? 
Doug wondered out loud, stepping back from the approaching knights. The doctor looked up at the ceiling, bewildered. Dallas took a deep breath. Ah, reggae. Good vibes. This stuff could chill me out if I was falling off a building. Whoa, Dallas! Lydia jumped back. Dallas was ballooning all over. His muscles swelled in his arms and legs. His neck tripled in size. He was like an inflatable bounce house blowing up. The more he relaxed to the music, the bigger he got. The sight of a ballooning kid startled even the robot knights who stopped their march. Their master, the doctor, floated back a few feet in his hovering chair. Dallas's growth didn't slow until he was nearly eight feet tall and bulging with muscle. Lydia got an idea. Don't stop there, she said, slipping him the Nor bracelet. Dallas took it and squeezed it onto four of his sausage-sized fingers, unable to fit it over his swollen wrist. The second he put it on, the Nor began to glow. The doctor's eyes immediately locked onto the piercing green light. Get them, he hissed. The robot knights closed in, but just as they were within range, Blobby sprang out of Dallas's pocket and bounced off their helmets. Orange goose splattered their helmets and for a moment they were disoriented, forced to wipe the slime from their camera visors. But a moment was all Dallas needed. With an extra boost of power from the Norb, he grew and grew and grew until the top of his back was pressed up against the ceiling and his arms were the size of motorcycles, twitching with veiny muscle. <laughs> Dallas laughed in a deep voice. His bolder shoulders bounced to the music, cracking the ceiling to the beat. Oh yeah! I'm feeling it! He grabbed two of the charging knights, one in each fist, and slammed them together. Clash! They shattered into pieces of sparking wires and crumpled armor. The rest of the cadets ducked out of the way as Dallas turned to face the remaining two knights. Blobby zipped overhead, still bouncing off the walls with a furious energy, splattering against the knights and just about everything else in the room. Dallas scooped up one of the robot knights by the legs and used him like a bat to swat away the other, making it explode in a shower of sparks against the wall. Then, in one swift, uppercutting motion, he took the last robot knight in his hand and slammed him up against the ceiling, buckling him like an accordion until he exploded in a fiery blaze. Left in its place was a gaping hole that led to the outside. Dallas's huge hand tried to reach out to grab Blobby, who was still zipping all over, but he wasn't fast enough. Just barely slipping through his fingers, Blobby ricocheted off the bead sign and hit the small glass case housing the dark matter, shattering it and setting the black sphere free. The light bulbs around it shattered instantly, and all the lights in the room sucked into the floating dark blob. The only light remaining came from the sunlight shining through the gaping hole in the ceiling. Gotcha! The doctor said, catching Blobby in a small metal case as it came zipping by. No! Dallas roared. He charged the doctor, but before he could grab him, the doctor pressed a button on his chair, making a thick bubbler bubble encapsulate him. Giant Dallas grabbed the bubble like it was a beach ball and threw it across the room. It bounced a couple of times before the hovering chair's jets could get it back under control. 
You have two weeks to register for my academy, the doctor warned. If I don't see your names on the roster by then, you will be expelled from existence. Smiling with his half-scarred mouth, the doctor tossed a coordinate chip onto the ground in front of the cadets and then rocketed up and out of the hole in the ceiling. Blobby! Dallas yelled, trying to grab him on his way out but missing by inches. Dallas roared like a furious giant and tore at the hole, making it even bigger. Dallas! Lydia called to him weakly. Dallas turned to see her and the rest of his team collapsed on the ground, the life being sucked out of them by the dark matter which was growing the more it consumed. Dallas was starting to feel the pull himself. His huge form was feeling weaker by the second, despite the extra boost from the Nor bracelet, which he now wore like a ring. Dallas quickly scooped them up in one arm, and with his free arm climbed out the hole. Outside, the space train was waiting for them, hovering just above them with its doors open. But Dallas wasn't looking at the train. He was looking past it. Panting furiously, he watched as the doctor's bubble disappeared into the sky above. So we finally met the doctor. What'd you guys think? Was he as intimidating as you thought he'd be? There's a part of me that kind of wants to kick him out of his chair and float away with it because I want a hovering wingback chair. That would be pretty incredible. What school do you think you would go to? Would you go to the Academy of Wanderers or the Academy of Exiles? You'd have to admit, being able to create anything you want and rule over a world would be really cool. Just saying. In that story, we got a little glimpse of what the Doctor calls dark matter. Now, this is obviously a fictional take on what dark matter looks like, but dark matter actually does exist in space. Or at least we think it does. It's something that continues to baffle astronomers. So to give you a rundown, let's first understand what matter is. Matter is basically a physical substance. Like you are made of matter. The world is made of matter. Stars are made of matter. Planets, that's matter. It can be broken down into tiny units called atoms. Now matter, all those things I just said, only make up about 5% of the universe. 25% of the universe is dark matter. Honestly, we don't know exactly what dark matter is, just that it's out there, in between things like galaxies and planets. It doesn't emit or reflect light, but some believe that it's out there actually to help hold galaxies together. We just know it's there because it interacts with gravity, and there's lots of it. So 5% of the universe is matter, things like planets, galaxies, stars, 25% is dark matter, and then another 70% is what we call dark energy, 
which is even more mysterious than dark matter. We can't detect it. We can't measure it. Basically, the only reason we know it's there is because we can see that the universe is expanding. Space is expanding, and that expansion is actually accelerating. And so we believe that what's driving that is this dark energy that takes up 70% of space. So 95%, the vast, vast majority of the universe is actually dark matter and dark energy that we don't understand. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but it's fascinating. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Space Train, which, of course, is a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and supporting the show, and I love hearing your feedback. So please send me an email at purplerocketpodcast at gmail.com, or you can fill out a contact form on the website at purplerocketpodcast.com. Let me know how it's going for you. I love your feedback, and it helps. I'm wanting to make this as enjoyable as possible for you, so please let me know how it's going. Thank you guys so much for your support and be sure to tune in next Monday for an all new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.